your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of ATP. James here, joined by Alex. Second episode of his return, getting a little bit of the classic ATP flavor this evening in the absence of Ryan, who had to be at the hockey rink for his son's hockey practice tonight. Alex, how are we doing? Fantastic. Excited to uh, be back on another episode. It's going to be an interesting one as we are on international break. So we've just got a smorgasbord of topics to run through and what'll be uh, somewhat of a compact episode. So it uh, should be an exciting one for sure. Yeah, let's just get right into it and start with Bainesy, Leighton Baines, the announcement that he was uh, put in position as a short-term assistant manager of the Everton Academy U18s alongside Paul Tate. Uh, we all know that Baines returned to the club after his retirement, didn't really uh, skip a beat and came right back into the fold as a professor, professional development coach uh, to help ensure young professionals uh, have a successful transition into the club and adapting to the rigors of their lives as a professional footballer. Alex, what do you make of this move? And just in general, I think the the goodwill born by having someone like Leighton Baines around the club. Yeah, I think it's a good move. It's exciting. As you said, he's been, been working on the club. Uh, professional development title is a bit vague to me, but can probably imagine, you know, a lot of mentoring going on and that sort of thing. And, and I think that Paul Tate mentioned in the interview um, regarding Leighton Baines, uh, the announcement that Baines wanted to kind of focus in on a specific age group of players, felt that this was the right age group. Um, I'm just wondering, though, and, and what do you think about this, James? What do you think about short term? You know, does that mean that does that mean that the club is looking at um, other assistant managers for the U18s? Or maybe they're just thinking that this is valuable experience for Baines and they have another plan for him? I mean, honestly, it felt to me like the professional development t- coach title for him seemed like a foot in the door. You know, we all know that Leighton Baines is uh, a bit of an unconventional character, I think, in the world of professional footballers, in that he never really seemed too fixated on glory hunting. He was very committed to Everton, but he also kind of had his life off the pitch that he was very committed to. He had his hobbies, photography, music, that sort of thing. And he obviously loves football a great deal and loves Everton a great deal. But I'm not sure if he was always sure about how much of his life he wanted to dedicate to the game. And so I think coming back as a kind of foot in the door, like I said, professional development coach and and feel things out and kind of see what things were like from the coaching standpoint. And now that he has been in that role for uh, several months now, might be starting to get an itch to move into coaching in a more formal capacity. Uh, could it turn into a, a long-term role? I, I could totally see it. I think everyone would be around the club would be thrilled to see him. Uh, it's interesting. He just, he's obviously a leader, but he's kind of a quiet leader as many former players have, have said. So what his coaching style would be like, I, I'd be very interested to, to kind of witness that firsthand for sure. Right. And I think, I believe in that same interview from Paul Tate uh, based on the announcement uh, I want to say he mentioned that Baines was already, you know, working with the U18s prior to the announcement. And I'm pretty sure he said they have uh, three wins out of four since he started to join them during their <laughs> training sessions. So obviously he's doing too bad, right? Yeah, he's got the magic touch. I mean, I think 
you the the u eighteen level is is like really kind of the cusp of make it or break it, I think. you know we'll talk about the u twenty threes here uh, towards the end of the show, but I think u eighteen, especially as Marcel Brands has worked on this kind of academy revision, you know, you see guys who are making their Premier League debut around the age of eighteen. so I these players be much younger than eighteen if possible, but it's such a key kind of developmental stage where you're really kind of putting the finishing touches on your game and continuing to improve. And hopefully Baines, you know, sees that as a fitting place for him to be. And whether it's for the short term or the long term, I, I think it can only mean good things for for, the, for Everton's development of their academy players. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, we had another announcement um, this week, and that was Joel Waldron was appointed the new head of academy recruitment. Um, so he was actually already working as the Blues Academy uh, chief operating officer, the COO. And a fun fact for you, he is the son of former head of academy director, Martin Waldron. Um, and, and, you know, I, I saw a couple comments on Reddit, maybe a couple on Twitter as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm the most knowledgeable as, as to Joel Waldron and his work, nor his father's really. But I think the, the general conversation started to turn to, you know, do we want to continue the quote unquote good, good old boy club at Everton with, you know, all of these, um, let's say, associated folks continuing to get roles, important roles at Everton? I mean, I know usually that conversation is based around, um, you know, David Unsworth, but, you know, we, sure. we look at, let's say, Usmanov's nephew has a, has a very prominent role at the club now as of this last season. Um, we've got Joel Waldron, who's been um, in the academy already. So, I mean, that uh, that's a bit of a merit. But do you think, as all Everton have uh, rose-tinted glasses on for for folks that are already associated, or or parents are associated, or former players? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think there's kind of two sides to the coin. I mean, as you men- mentioned, there is uh, a familial connection there. He was also already working within the academy, so like to to move roles in a there's, there's definitely a benefit having done True. this in my professional life, moving within a company or, or an enterprise or an organization, moving to a new role or new area where you already have kind of the lay of the land and understand how things work and what the, what the shared objectives are. So I can see from that angle why it would be a smart move to like uh, move him into the head of academy. And we know the academy has been a focal point forever. If he's familiar with it and he's on board with the mission and can help deliver that. That's all well and good. I think the perception of Everton as as being this sort of place where we're willing to extend. I I think it's the family club, right? So aptly named by one of our managers. It's that sort of mentality. And, you know, you can say that maybe you don't make the always always make the most optimal recruitment decisions for for people to to have positions of power within the club. But there is something to be said for having a a, a tight knit being the son of a former academy direct, the former academy director, I think is is in some ways an advantage, right? He's been around this club for a long time. He knows that. I understand the people who are concerned about that, and I think that may apply to positions and maybe in general. But I have a hard time being overly negative about this change personally. Yeah, no, I, I agree with your points. I think I think you're pretty spot on. Um, it's more of a it's more of a general theme question than it is a a question about Joel specifically. Um, yeah, we're not attacking. Right. Guy, yeah. Right? We're not saying freak Joel. <laughs> this is a PG podcast. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, even and I'm not I'm not trying to be that guy, but like our last bullet point talking about Leighton Baines announced like his second role at the club. Right. I mean, 
that is that that kind of goes along with the general trend. Um, but all I will say is, you know, we have not been producing the best academy talent over the last X amount of years. And most of our academy, uh, quite a bit of our academy staff are are in that in that club. So that that's, you know, a question maybe for another time. But nonetheless, I think that's a fair critique. I mean, just just to kind of wrap this up. You, know, you have Duncan Ferguson, who's been an assistant manager under the last, what, five managers now. Um, yeah, there are questions that, that can be asked by fans to say, like, but it, but I think it ultimately boils down to, is it good to have someone who, quote unquote, understands the club to its core in a position uh, to influence the first team, to influence the academy? And I think in, in, a, in a club like Everton, I think that is really important to maintain that identity and not just hire, you know, random people coming from outside. Not that that can, not that that's always a bad thing. So um, anyway, let's move on and talk about some of the actual first team players and namely one of the, I think considered by fans now to be one of the signings of the season. We've got a couple, but I think this guy maybe came in way under the radar. That's of course, Andrus Townsend. uh, And we all remember his, his wonder goal, which ended up winning the Premier League goal of the month. Uh, Alex, an interesting stat on Andrus Townsend. It was the third time he's won it, uh, and no other player has won it three times. So he only scores worldies, basically. basically. Yeah, I mean, that, that's been the trademark since he came, uh, which is exciting. It's even more exciting. We already saw one. Um, but also, you know, somebody pointed out, I can't remember the last time any Everton player won goal of the month. I think it's been probably four or five years. It might have been... Um... The Leicester goal, Sigurdsson's goal against Leicester when he uh, wins yep. Madison. That was definitely nominated. I can't remember if it actually won, but you're right. I said this. I said this on a few episodes ago. It's been a really long time since we've seen players even willing to kind of take those long shots, much less bang them in the back of the net. Exactly, and and to kind of add to that and, and his importance as well. Um, Opta Joe released some stats. Ever, uh, Townsend for Everton this season. He has the most shots of any player with 13. He's the most shots target with eight. He's got most chances created 13 most fouls, one 14 and all that wraps up to three goals, two assists on the season so far. I would say that's extremely impressive. Um, especially since, and I think it's easy to be this way, but a lot of the, a lot of the praise this season has, has in terms of attacking players has gone to Damari gray. Um, you know, it's probably pretty easy to say he's, slightly more exciting to watch with his pace, um, his ability to turn sure. the ball so quickly and the way that he's giving us that hashtag vert- verticality. But Townsend, <laughs> I mean, by the stats, I mean, it'd be hard to argue against him, against him being, you know, Everton's best or most important player in the first couple matches of the season. I mean, at least from like a, a goal creation standpoint, right? I mean, we've talked about like how well Decore's played. There's been plenty of guys who have really shown under Benitez. You mentioned Amari Gray. But I think for a guy coming to us from Palace, people were a little skeptical of the signing as they, I think, had, had a right to be. Not to, you know, toot my own horn, but I had always kind of rated Townsend and enjoyed watching him play. So I was excited to see him come on. And, and look, he's, he's vindicated Benitez in wanting to sign him, to bring in a veteran guy like that. Um, in an area that we desperately need, look, he's not, I think, the the blockbuster right-wing signing that many of us had hoped for over the summer window, but for the money we paid, a.k.a. zero for him, <laughs> it's hard to argue with the return. And, I mean, he looks great. We, you've talked about, we've talked about what a professional he is. People rave about his fitness and his commitment to um, 
you know, m- maintaining his performances at the highest level and is not just his offensive contributions, but his defensive work rate has been really, really impressive. He's gone 90 minutes multiple times, even when he looks completely gassed. So I, I've got all the time in the world for Andrus Townsend. I think he really kind of embodies the type of signing that Everton would make in years past before we were flush with cash and would really endear himself to the fans. And I think he really, uh, he's a player that you can tell he loves and appreciates playing for this club. And I think that really resonates with fans on top of all of the obviously like really good performances he's put in. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, and and honestly, I've been I've been eating up all of the uh, interview videos that he's had over the last couple of weeks in general. And he, he's a super well-spoken guy. It's exciting to see him talk about the club the way that he does. And I don't think that you could really argue that he is the cookie cutter of a player that you'd really want representing the club uh, off the pitch as well. So all around. Um, working out to be a really good signing so far. Hopefully he continues in way as well. Most definitely. So let's, uh, let's move on now to some, maybe not so, not so good news. We had a player win goal of the month. And then we have the infamous Everton injury bug coming back to bite us on international break with the rumor that, or I guess established fact that Luca Dean ruled out of the France squad with what appears to be a minor hamstring injury. And of course, Everton, the left back situation we've talked a lot about, namely the lack of depth. So Alex, what do you make of this unfortunate development of losing Luca Dean for in hopefully a short period, but seems uh, unlikely he would play this weekend at the very least. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I am very happy that they said it was a slight slash minor hamstring injury. Cause that means, you know, ideally we'll see him in the next couple of weeks. I think it's an issue. Well, it's, I mean, it's a big issue. We have no other, official left back in the squad, unless you want to talk about Fabian Delph, but Oh wait, he's also injured. Um, so, I mean, to me, it sounds like, uh, Ben Godfrey is going to be slotting in there on the weekend. Only time will tell, but ideally Lou Castine will be, uh, will be back sometime soon. I think his importance is, is still pretty understated. I think our, our, our style of play this season has been definitely been different. Um, than it was under Carlo. And, and I think that um, I believe actually that, that Lucas Dean had a very large amount of chances created for the team and yet to register an assist this season in the premier league. Um, so, so point is his importance can't be understated. He might've been flying a little under the radar so far this season. I've seen some people saying that they feel like he's had a crap season so far, but, but I think, I think it's, it's, it's bad news to say the least. And the sooner he's back, the better. Yeah. I mean, of all the people to get injured, right. I mean, it's not like we're a deep squad to begin with, but like left back is like the, the red, dark red part of the depth chart where like, you just don't, you don't want to lose any numbers there. And I think you're right. It's probably going to be Ben Godfrey. Hopefully Seamus Coleman's fit to return. It seems like that's the case, but Dean is so critical. Like even when he's not contributing on the offensive end, which people think he hasn't been, as you said, that stat, I think it was like 14 or 15 chances created without an assist, which is like the most in the Premier League, which is crazy. Um, but it just goes to show you like what a bias people have towards quote unquote end product or like a guy can create chances all day, but if no one on the end is banging him in, then he doesn't get the credit or the, or the plaudits. But Luka Dean, so critical to our left side and really helping someone like Damari Gray in that free role or, you know, Richarlison when he comes back to have, take, take a little bit of liberty going forward and he hasn't been getting forward as much. So it's hopefully a short-term thing really has been 
excellent at not being injured, knock on wood, since he arrived at Everton for the most part. And yeah, it looks like Ben Godfrey will slot in and we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, but it does, doesn't make you feel great. And one of your most important players at a position where you've got real no backups uh, just decides to get a hamstring injury. And we know that those sorts of injuries can very easily be kind of like re-aggravated. So here's hoping to a swift recovery and return to full form for Luca. Absolutely. And actually, I need to interject. This is this is not in our show notes, James, but you mentioned Seamus Coleman also this week. It was our captain, Seamus Coleman's birthday. So happy, happy, uh, I believe, 33rd birthday to Seamus Coleman. Uh, long his reign continue, as a side note. Amen to that. <laughs> Amen to that. All right, let's move on to our final topic of the episode. And uh, that is talking about the U23 Academy. We had talked, or U23 team as part of the Academy. We've talked about, you know, the first team, on this show quite a bit talking about the transformation that Marcel Brands has had basically instrument create. And we want to take a look at sort of some of the statistics on minutes played by age group on the U23s, because we know that in years past, in recent past, a lot of the youth team, a lot of the U23s, look, we just had an old U23 team and they they really were players that were kind of too old to really break into the first team at that point, you know, guys, 22, 23, sometimes 24, 25 years. And they weren't really looking likely at all to make a run in the first team yet still playing for that supposedly developmental squad. So we took a look using FB ref at the last five years of uh, minutes played by age for the U23s and found a couple of interesting insights. And I think it just indicates Maybe not that there, there there hasn't been quite as much of a radical transformation by Marcel Brands, but I think the transformation is more of a slow and steady situation. Absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, Marcel Brands inherited a lot of issues with the squad, with, with, the, with the youth squad initially. Um, you know, the transition is not so much black and white. For example, as you said, a lot of the older players were getting minutes, um, a lot of older players in general in the books. But also another issue that I think is kind of, um, left out in the conversation too, was the fact that a lot of these older players were on pretty big, like big for the, you know, for the U23s, pretty big professional contracts. And that made it very, very hard to get them any loan minutes either. And so, so what you see is you see the older players, you know, just going year by year, sticking around in the same group. Uh, they can't get loan minutes at maybe a higher level. And next thing you know, they're, uh, they're shipped off. But we looked at um, we looked at his first year after his arrival, right? So that was the 2018-2019 season. And 12% of U23 were played by players over 21. Whereas 58%, so the majority of minutes were played by players in the 16 to 19 age bracket. So I mean, off the bat, it's pretty decent. I would say that 16 to 19 would be the ideal age in which you'd want the majority of your players um, for the U23s. And as you, I mean, you know, as you pointed out earlier in the episode, U18s, but you were talking more so the age range than anything. Um, that age range is, is very important to see who can continue to make the step up. Yeah, I, just, I really think the name like U23 in itself is almost misleading. It's like the, the upper bound, but really you don't want to have guys. Yes. In most cases who are 22, 21 playing regularly in an under league where you'd much rather have them out on loan playing senior first team football, if at all possible, 
to continue their development, which is why I think you're right in pointing out that that kind of 16 to 19 age is, is where I would view it to be ideal for guys to be kind of cutting their teeth in the U23s. And so you look at that transformation year over year, and it, there have been some slight changes. And we, we look at last year's numbers. And it's interesting because you might expect with all the progress and all the changes that Brands has supposedly implemented that you would see a lot more younger guys playing. Um, we do see a 1% decrease in percentage of minutes played by guys over 21. So that drops, you know, a little 11% of guys. Um, but then you see a 6% increase in minutes played by guys age 16 to 19. And you actually see an emergence of, let's see, last year, you know, 13 starts given to players 14 and 15 years old, which wasn't even included, you know, an age bracket. We didn't even have guys that young. Um, playing for the U23s when brands arrived. So it's a, it's not a dramatic shift and the, you may not expect that, but I think what's important is just to see a lot of these older guys aren't getting the minutes. And we've seen cases where maybe a senior player returning from injury might get, you know, 60, 90 minutes with the U23s as like a <clears throat> kind of rehab situation. But for the most part, the minutes are being played by guys who are still of a reasonable age where they're on the right pathway to play in the U23s, move out on loan, and then either have a pathway to the first team, which is something, you know, not very many academy prospects within Everton have had the opportunity to do in recent times, or they're ready to make a move and Everton can perhaps profit on their sale. So I think it's in a healthier place. Maybe not, maybe it hasn't happened quite as quickly as people may have wanted. It has been a few years now. And frankly, I was expecting these numbers to show, um, more of a shift to younger players getting more regular minutes, but it just doesn't really seem to be the case. And of course, you know, stats can be biased and all that, but the numbers say what they say and, you know, we interpret them how we interpret them. Yeah, I agree. I, I would have expected to see a little bit of a difference as well. Um, but, you know, the other thing to consider too, really in the U23s is the fact that the turnover rate is, you know, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's as high as we've been seeing for, let's say the first team in the last couple of years, you know, you don't necessarily expect five, five incomings and outgoings every year for each squad and that sort of thing. I'll say though, if we're talking about the eye test, right? If we're looking at um, the amount of U23 players that are now being included or, or even recently, let's say um, sometimes last season with uh, the manager that shall not be named. Um, <laughs> We've got a lot of those. Yeah, exactly. Multiple. That's true. Unfortunately. <laughs> and the one that shouldn't be named is now the current uh, anyway. Nonetheless, um, <laughs> point is, I feel like based on the eye test, we are seeing quite a few U23 players at least involved in first team training and first team, uh, first team match day squads. Now, obviously, you know, that could be down to squad depth and injuries, but nonetheless, sure. I would say overall, it seems like an improvement. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the the lag of first team depth is uh, the, the U23 squads game. Uh, you know, gain. It may be a, a detriment to our prospects in the Premier League this season, but if these guys are getting the opportunity to train around the level of professional that we do have in the Everton first team, I think that bodes well for their long-term development. I think that's a, a really positive sign. And look, I mean, we know that the Everton U23s have won PL2 titles in recent past, but again, I, I don't think that that really needs to be the focus. The focus you should obviously always want to win, but I think you're looking at the bigger picture and like what's best for these players and what's best for the club. And it's not, you know, winning games by three or four goals, playing guys that are playing with guys who are three or four years older than the rest of the opposition. 
Yeah, absolutely agree. Nothing good comes from that. And, uh, you know, that, that is, that is, that circles back to, you know, the gripe about the U23s and how we're set up and, you know, are we, or have we been setting up to win U23 matches as opposed to what some would argue the overall goal is to, you know, continue to develop the younger players while obviously being competitive. Sure. You always want to be competitive, but I think you're looking at the U23s. You can't, you can't just look at it in isolation. Like we need to win. There's no like win now mentality in the U23s. It always has to be, what's the long-term thought process? What are, what is going to, you know, what's, what's best for the club, I think ultimately is the first priority. And what's best for these individual players and their development is maybe secondary to that. uh, Just kind of the nature of the business, but I don't know. I, I, I do think that Brands has done a good job. He spotted some good young guys. I know people are maybe frustrated by the lack of progress <clears throat> for Everton, but you look at, again, I mean, you're talking about one of the key edicts from Marcel Brands when he signed was to, like, to have the consistent vision of football throughout the academy and have the academy play like the first team. And when you chop and change managers every 18 months, you're not really making it easy on the guy to try to implement that philosophy. So now we went from playing or trying to play a, a more expansive style under Carlo Ancelotti to now playing a compact, direct counterattacking style under Rafa Benitez. And that, you know, it's one thing to rehaul the entire first team squad in that sort of image, but it's another thing entirely when you have, you know, five or six different teams under him that you're trying to design to play a certain way and now you kind of go back to the drawing board. So I'm sure he hasn't been thrilled with kind of the, the change of direction that we've undergone, but I also don't think it's the end of the world and it's something that's we can definitely adapt to. Right. And and it's funny that you say that and mention like the style of play and stuff, because arguably, I, I don't think that we'd be playing our current style of play if we had a couple uh, different players, different types of players or profiles of players in the squad either. Um, you know, Everton is, is one of the one of, if not the team with the least amount of possession in the league so far this season, which obviously, I mean, that's working for us. You know what I mean? That, that that's big deal but my my overarching point is do we sign a couple more players in the near future and then we've changed the system again even under the same manager who knows um how does that affect as you said marcel brand's overall goal um but nonetheless a, a goal is is you know that that should be the goal is to continue to with the same style of play as the first team so hopefully hopefully we can see some some longevity with the systems as a whole Absolutely, Alex. And I think that is going to do it for this episode of ATP. We, of course, have the match this weekend against West Ham, clash of David Moyes against Rafa Benitez, and should be a very interesting one. West Ham, obviously, starting the season quite well, slipping up here or there, but it'll be a a good test for Everton coming off the international break, see what players are back fit, and we're very much looking forward to it. If you enjoyed the show, and we hope you did, please check out all our social media links and find our pod all of our different podcast platforms at linktr.ee slash usa toffee pod that's linktr.ee slash usa toffee pod if you could leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice that helps us out a ton otherwise thanks so much everyone for listening and until next time up the toffees <laughs>